What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we are talking about a very interesting new product from a young company, and I think for any of us who spend time either in the backcountry or skiing or riding anywhere near tree wells, well, this is a conversation that I think you really need to pay attention to, and this is a product, the Safeback SBX, that you will then be in a good position to consider whether this is something that should be part of your gear when skiing or riding inbounds around tree wells or in the backcountry or anywhere where there could be risk of an avalanche burial. Joining me today for this wide-ranging discussion is the CEO of Safeback, Tor Berga. And before we dive in here, let me just say a little bit about this product, the Safeback SBX. The Safeback SBX is an avalanche survival system designed to keep the user breathing during burial in an avalanche or tree well without needing a mouthpiece. The air supply from the SBX will extend your survival window under the snow from 15 minutes to over 90 minutes. And in short, that is a massive, massive deal. So in this conversation with Tor, we really do have a wide-ranging conversation about avalanche safety equipment in general and where this Safeback SBX could slot in among the range of safety gear out there. And so let's dive right into my conversation with Tor Berga. Here we go. Well, Tor, how are you today and where are you today? I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm in Bergen in Norway, so that's on the West Coast. West Coast of Norway. That sounds pretty exotic right now. It sounds good. Still skiing in those parts? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we probably have snow for another month or so. So we had a pretty nice. good year. Good. Happy to hear it. Still never been to Norway. Need to correct that at some point. Uh, but we're, we're working through the list. We're working through the list of, of countries and places. Um, so someday. You are welcome. Anytime. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, I think anytime we have new things coming down the pike in terms of safety equipment, it is um, very much uh, worth understanding and worth assessing the utility of these things. And um, what you guys have going on at Safeback, this certainly has caught my attention. So, I think maybe what we do just to get started is have you talk about when it was that you first started thinking about developing a new safety system? Yes. So uh, I have been uh, born here in Bergen on the West Coast, and my parents dragged me to my cabin or our cabin, uh, <laughs> basically from my birth. Uh, so I've been growing up in an area where it's a lot of avalanches. So I've always been needing to, you know, take uh, great care in the mountains. And, um, I have always been using uh, avalanche gear. Um, so it was, um, when I thought that the system that was developed to find persons where, when they are taken by an avalanche, um, that was very good. So you, you had around, uh, 15 to 20 minutes that it would take to dig someone up if you were effective. So the equipment was so good that it was more your own training and experience, uh, mm -hmm. that you could do something with rather than the equipment. But for the person that was lying below the snow, mm -hmm. um, there was any, wasn't any sufficient solutions. Um, at least I thought so. So I actually tried to find a solution for myself that I could use in the mountains. And I couldn't really find anything that was uh, sufficient of my own needs. So then uh, the thought of actually doing something ourselves uh, started. So just to sum that up, because it's actually a great point. 
I like that you're saying, you know, beacons, shovel, probes. This gear actually works great. Like, it works great. It really comes down to how well the person can use this equipment. And that's a massive X factor, right? And Absolutely. we we talk about this a lot. We tell people to practice uh, with their stuff. But what we also say is in that moment when one of your buddies or a significant other just got caught in an avalanche, you just exponentially ratcheted up Absolutely. the difficulties of and, and, and inviting user error, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you understand that part well. And so, your thought was, okay, beacons are great, shovels, good old trusty shovels, probes, <laughs> those things are good equipments. Let's not iterate on those. Let's figure out how we just buy the buried individual more time. Correct. And when did you start thinking that way? How long ago? I think it was back in 2014, 2015. And uh, I started looking at or looking to find some equipment that would solve this. And in 2016, uh, start of 2016, we um, started the company and started actually doing something about it. Hmm. Who's we? Well, it's uh, me, Tor Berge, and it's Sigmund Andreasen. Um, and it's Andre Mjölhus. Okay. And how did this come about? You went to these two or you all had been talking about, you know, we, we've got airbags now, we've got beacons that seem to be getting better and better. But what about this part of creating a solution to buy a buried person more time? Uh, while while the rescue happens. Just tell me a bit more about those conversations among the three of you, and then I'd like to hear more about your individual backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So um, after thinking a little bit about this problem, um, I started realizing that uh, it was not going to be fun, and I was not (laughs) going to be able to do all this alone. So I figured this might be a longer journey than what I would expect. So I wanted some someone else to share uh, this with, and actually, Sigmund isn't that uh, interested in skiing, but is mm. a technology uh, technology geek and really is into you know new technical solutions. So I started actually discussing this problem with him and how it could be solved, and he mm. came with a bunch of good ideas, and we're starting to take this you know uh, idea one step further. And uh, just a few weeks after, I was on a um, you know a ski mountaineering trip with another uh, friend, Andre, and uh, we started you know talking a little bit about this. And already at this point, we found it to be uh, smart to keep it a little bit um, uh, secretive. So he didn't really get all the information. So he mm. of course got really interested in this uh, mm. and asked if he could uh, join us and. Suddenly, we went from one to two to three persons. You start, and correct me if I get any part of this story wrong, you start by thinking, there's got to be a way to buy more time. Yes. Under, in the event of a burial. Now, I don't imagine that you immediately come to an idea that looks like the Safeback SBX, the product we have today. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Did how how quickly did you get there, or did you just go with I just want to figure out a real world solution to buy more time? Then did you go to Sigmund and start talking about well, what does that actually look like? So I actually started just with the problem with both of them. So we we had a clear understanding of that it, this was a problem. People were dying out there, and. We really wanted to find a solution that could save lives. So uh, we hadn't really discussed anything about the solution. So mm-hmm. we actually figured that we didn't know enough about the problem. So that's where the journey started. The the you know the research and the knowledge on this subject was limited. 
So we actually had to do something about this at first. What is the problem and, and, and what is the extent of the problem, right? Like how widespread is it and what does the problem actually look like according to studies? So uh, I will try to keep this a little bit simplified, but around uh, 25% of uh, avalanche fatalities is uh, because of traumas. So blunt forces, mechanical damage to the body. And around 75% is caused by asphyxia. Uh, these numbers, they vary a little bit uh, depending on your geographical location and also which statistics you are using. So this is based on the statistics from Herman Brugger and the Eurac research teams. So um, around 75% uh, is caused by asphyxia. And those were the ones that we need to focus uh, more on. Gotcha. And let me back up for just a second. Were there personal anecdotes for what got you thinking about this issue in particular? I mean, were there issues where you were caught in an avalanche or people you know? Because, I mean, all of us who go into the backcountry know this is a possibility. Not many of us started thinking we need to find a solution to buy more time in the event of a burial. So um, I'm, I, I guess I'm a risk-oriented person. So I accept uh, a quite small, you know, risk when I'm out there. So I take, I try to take good choices and you know build my knowledge. But still, there is um, uh, still a risk. Uh, so that's why I'm using uh, the the equipment, so the avalanche equipment. Um, and uh, we have looked at the other side, at the, at the mountains uh, from our cabin, and we have looked at those big, big avalanches going down. And I felt that, okay, this is something that you should have a large respect for. So it was... Um, I don't have this uh, big story where I just barely survived an avalanche. Uh, I Good. just really felt, Good. you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, so this um, this is basically just um, uh, a wish to save lives. Uh, you know, people in my community, people, uh, you know, in my network, I really like to ski myself. Those people has, um, uh, you know, been caught by avalanches. Some has escaped with their lives, and some has not. So. Uh, being able to save at least one life uh, has been a motivation. Let me now have you tell us about the solution that you have today for us. What is the product that you've created and how does it work? So it's basically a pump. Uh, so let, let us, I guess, first start about the problems. Because when you are caught by an avalanche and uh, if you're unlucky, then you get buried. So you're laying there under the snow and then uh, you will breathe your own air. So you will fill, you know, the, the small space or no space that you have in front of your mouth. You will fill that with CO2 and you will use up the oxygen. So uh, based on the research, it's, it's the lack of oxygen that will eventually kill you. So we needed to figure out, okay, how can we delay this process? So the equipment is pulling air from the back. So from the backpack in a mesh panel, it pulls the air and pushes it out on both the shoulders and it will create um, uh, a, a flow of air going through the snow. So if, even if you are completely packed with snow, uh, the air will still penetrate the snow and, and help push away the CO2 and also replenish the air with a higher content of oxygen so that you delay the suffocation process. There's a lot going on there. And that also sounds kind of wild. So let me ask you one question. I, I think this is relevant. For anybody who's had the experience of tomahawking down a mountain, one of the things that can happen is you actually get like a complete mouthful and faceful of snow mm -hmm. that just shoves into your mouth and can kind of, you know, almost ossify, harden up, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm starting with maybe a bit of an extreme example, but I'm, I'm not sure how extreme it is. Uh, you know, we're told if you're caught in an avalanche, try to get your hand over your face to create a bit of a, 
um, a space, right, to to allow air to be there. And mm-hmm. I understand in this situation, the claim is um, with the SafeBack SBX, you can get a pump that will continue to get oxygen into this snowpack, basically covering your face. What if that is really that snow is really shoved into your face? There is no pocket. What can you tell us about how well or not well the system still would work? So all our testing has been um, has been based on that your face is completely covered uh, by snow, so you don't have an air pocket at all. No air pocket. Right. Okay. So having an air pocket will be better. It will, of course, help the system. But we have designed and you know dimensioned the system based on no air pocket. That seems pretty good. Talk about the activation of this. How does it work? How does this pump get going? So it's a manual activation, uh, similar to the one that you have from the airbags. So you just pull a handle and the system will run. And it will run until the batteries are dead. So that is in minus uh, 30 degrees Celsius or minus 22 degrees Fahrenheit. That will be for 90 minutes. And if it's hotter, it will run for a bit longer. A bit longer. So let's say we're touring in the spring in Norway and Mm -hmm. temperatures are actually hovering around freezing. Mm -hmm. When you say a bit long. That could be around two hours and 40 minutes uh, of time. Wow. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that's a bit. Two hours and 40 minutes. Yes. But what we are guaranteeing is those uh, 90 minutes in minus 22 Fahrenheit. Yep. So people should keep that 90 minute, which is an incredible amount of time, right? I mean, and remind us, because I'm sure you have the numbers at hand. What are the survival rates when we have a burial situation? Typically, we say before damage or death occurs, brain damage or death occurs, we have how long? So after 15 minutes, um, then around 9 out of 10 survives. But after uh, half an hour, then around uh, 3 to 4 survives. So this again is based on, you know, statistics. And you can read more about them, for example, from studies from um, Hageli or uh, Hermann Brugger. Um, So this also varies from, you know, geographical location. Does the SafeBack SBX and and this vest, right? Currently, is it always integrated into a vest? Or or let's talk a little bit about how one carries the system. So we are integrating uh, the SafeBack SBX into a variety of products. So, uh, you know, the the vest and we have um, integrated it into a backpack. And we will also integrate it together with airbags. Because uh, this is a supplemental system, so we want uh, the users to be able to, you know, use the existing Avalanche gear um, as well as ours. And so, let's say I'm interested in carrying an airbag pack, but I'd like the sound of having this system, you know, because an airbag, once you're buried, if you're buried, the airbag's not helping you much. Um, It might help you not get buried, right? If it helps keep you on top of snow. But in this case, then would a person be effectively having two different triggers? Uh, The triggers will be integrated for the backpacks that uh, both the airbag and the SPX is is integrated. So you will, if you're caught by the avalanche, you will pull one handle and that will activate both of the systems. Well, what can you tell people who are listening who maybe they already have their airbag system do you have data on people who are able to actually deploy their airbag people who are actually able to deploy the airbag how frequently or infrequently are they actually getting fully buried right because that is supposed to be one of the the things that an airbag can do is prevent uh full burial so I guess I'm just trying to get a sense of how much your system is a great complement to an airbag pack user, or if it's instead should be viewed as better, like if somebody's kind of committed, I'm not going out into the backcountry with an airbag pack, 
but I really like the sound of this safe back system. Is it an either or, or do you really think it's more effective to have both? So it all comes down to, you know, a number of different parameters that people are considering when uh, both they are buying those uh, types of equipment and also in terms of what they're actually using when they are going out in the backcountry. So mm-hmm. we try to leave it up to the users to, you know, decide for themselves and sure. what kind of terrain, what kind of use the system is going to be used in and let them decide. So we try to not, you know, uh, decide for them. I think that's a, a better judgment they do uh, themselves. But um, we we will um, uh, integrate uh, those two systems together. Um, and you can also find, um, you know, more research on how many people are actually being helped from an avalanche airbag and also in terms of which terrain uh, that could be helpful. So just one example of this, if you are going into a avalanche zone as a rescuer to find people um, you know, that has been taken by the avalanche, then you are in the, at the end of the avalanche. So then you could think that the, the airbag might not help you that much because you are the end where the snow stops. And you want that cat get that help that you know you being a bigger particle in movement uh, in the snow as you're being pushed up. So then the safe back system could you know potentially help you more as you are being buried if there comes a new avalanche. So there's a bunch of things that needs to be considered uh, you know when choosing these systems. Okay, but just to push you a little further on this, because if people are you know, listening to this and trying to figure out like, crap, is this like some new bit of safety gear that I seriously ought to be carrying and purchasing? I very much agree with what you're saying that ultimately everybody has to kind of judge for themselves and make their own assessment. But I'd still like to hear you make the best case for the application of this safe back system, right? Um, it's your, it's your company. It's your product. Um, you know, when, when we like are talking about this Blister Plus insurance we have going, my job is to be like, hey, people, seriously, if you are in these particular circumstances, you absolutely should have this. And, you know, for people who have world-class insurance, maybe this is less pressing. So, that's kind of what I want to do here. Like, have you make the strongest case for the type of user who really ought to think clearly and check out this product of yours? So, uh, we try to say that all people who are venturing into avalanche terrain, they would benefit from a uh, safe back if they are caught by an avalanche. And uh, I think it's important for everyone to understand that, you know, none of those avalanche equipment uh, is Ironman suits. You know, yeah. none of them are giving you an absolutely, you know, certainty that you would survive this avalanche. In all cases, you could still die from trauma. You could still die from other things being buried too deep or something else. So these systems will only give you an extra margin. So um, I think if you are um, caught by an avalanche and you haven't died from trauma, if you have partially or open airways, this system will give you extra margins. Um, so that is that is basically our uh, standpoint. And of course, um, this system being integrated with an airbag, that will make it a little bit heavier, a little bit more expensive. And for some people, safety lies also in, you know, the weight uh, if they are going climbing or mixed terrain or other yeah. things. So uh, that's why we try to not, you know, give a general advice to to all of uh, uh, the potential buyers, but try to keep it open for them to decide. Let's talk more about just how the safe back system functions and operates. I mean, one of the big factors here, I think, with airbags and any trigger system is you need to successfully pull the trigger, right? Right. One of the things I was wondering about is, I mean, that's that's an issue with airbags. You can't pull the airbag before the run. You kind of right. have to wait till you're in an avalanche. 
Would that be something with the SafeBack system if you were just using, say, the vest, not using it in conjunction with an airbag? Would you be able to actually pull that trigger before you dropped into a line, start the pump going as a kind of preemptive measure, right? And then if I do get caught and I'm buried, that pump is already working. Right. And can, so what is the kind of multiple use, multiple poles capability of the system? So, uh, yeah, and that's quite interesting. So if you decide to go into, you know, a high risk area, either because, you know, for the fun of it or, uh, of course, in a rescue situation, then you could start the system before you go in. Because as you say, some people don't, you know, manage to pull the trigger yeah. when you are being caught by the avalanche. So that could, you know, uh, be an extra safety. So I think it's around one out of one out of five or something like that that doesn't really pull the trigger. And I guess one one advantage with the safeback system is that you can train with it. So you know, it's just to turn off the pump afterwards. So you can actually, you know, visualize you being caught by an avalanche and train the actual movement because mm -hmm. when you get out there and, you know, you are really being caught by an av uh, avalanche, then uh, having trained on it will, uh, you know, help you uh, actually pull the trigger uh, in the stress uh, situation. Can you say a bit more about like how the system works? So pull the trigger, this pump starts to work, I understand that. Then what about to sort of reload, to turn it off and reload the system? What does that look like? So um, when you're turning uh, on the system, then the fan will run and it would basically run until the battery dies. Um, so if you are, um, uh, when you are going out on a trip, you just do a self-test of the system um, and you, you will check if the batteries are okay or not. If the, if the light is green, then the system will be able to run for those 90 minutes. And if not, you should uh, change the batteries. And uh, it's quite easy. Uh, you just screw out one screw and you pull out a battery adapter, change all the AA batteries, and you put the adapter inside. Uh, you just tighten the screw and then you're good to go. And the system will, you know, check the new batteries to see if the, it's the correct type and if it uh, uh, is fully loaded. And it will hopefully give you the green light and you're ready to go again. This is more analogous to an, an airbag pack where you pull it once, it's sort of been used. I don't hear you saying, you know, again, my, the thing I was imagining, I activate the safe back system. I've got the pump going, then I drop into the line, get done, get to a spot where I'm now not as concerned or unconcerned about uh, being caught in an avalanche. I can't simply kind of hit a stop button. Once, once I've pulled that trigger, that safe back system is going to run to depletion. So you can turn it off. It's a, uh, it's a safety measure. So you will need to take off your backpack and, yep. you know, just access the, the SPX and you, uh, take one short and one long toggle on, you know, the button on the SPX and it will, uh, turn off. And this is a safety measurement, uh, that is put in place to avoid the system accidentally being turned off when you actually right. need it. Right. Okay. So you guys at the moment, that is the greater concern. You're like, once somebody activates this, we cannot have this system accidentally turning off, which kind of defeats the entire purpose. Right. Um, yeah, understood. So let's talk more about the development of this system. Was it actually easier or harder than you imagined it was going to be going from sort of the idea of this trigger activated pump to actually getting to a you know a production product uh that you very much like the way it operates and are willing to um you know go to the mat for how well it operates well <laughs> it definitely we're harder than we thought uh much much harder we're sort of three pretty optimistic guys you know <laughs> 
we have known each other from from you know university so we had already known each other for you know five or six years before we started this and we are all pretty uh, optimistic so we thought this would you know maybe take a year or two um but then once we dig deeper we saw that okay this problem has some more you know adversity to it than what we thought so we pretty much realized that this would take time. And especially if we should, you know, develop a system that could save lives, um, then we needed to be as sure as we could be that the system actually worked. So, um, and we, we started, you know, doing some research ourselves. We did some testing, but quickly we realized we wanted the experts to do this. Uh, and also experts that wasn't really paid by Safeback. Mm-hmm. So then we started, you know, reaching out to, you know, the expert researchers within um, medicine uh, or um, uh, mountain medicine. And we also uh, got a development contract from the Norwegian Armed Forces uh, to join us both in, you know, development and research, but also yeah. of rigorous testing of the equipment. So going back to your question, uh, yeah, it yeah. took a lot, lo- a lot longer than we expected. <laughs> what turned out to be the biggest challenges? So there was pretty much three things that we needed to solve. So we needed to know that we could pull air from the snow. Mm-hmm. And once we had found a solution for that, we needed to know, okay, if we push out um, the air from the shoulders, would that air actually pass through the snow? So you actually got used for it. And uh, once we have uh, sort of sorted that out, then the last question was, okay, will any of the used air being pulled back into the system? So you got sort of a or so that we would get a circulatory effect. So just circulating the bad air around. Yep. And we also found solutions for this. So then all the three main uh, questions had been solved. And um, the way we sort of tested all these things was, I'll just give you one example, but we, we had a, a mannequin and uh, we drilled a, a hole. Actually, it, it sounds a little dramatic, but through the <laughs> head of this mannequin. And we put out um, CO2 from the mouth of the mannequin. We put on the safeback system and we buried the whole mannequin under the snow. And we had gas measurement devices all around this unit. So we could see how this CO2 spread around this, um, this uh, uh, mannequin. And we tested with and without the system so that we could clearly say, see how much CO2 were pushed away. The gas composition in front of, of the mouth. Would any of the CO2 go back into the system? So we could solve all, all these, you know, main problems that we had. And, um, we did this in all kinds of snow because different snow has different, mm-hmm. you know, composition and, and um, would affect our system differently. So we tested in super wet snow, so very heavy uh, snow up to 600 kilos per um, square meter. And we tested in super dry, fine snow around 400 to 500 kilo per uh, square meter. And we tested in all kinds of mixed conditions in between. Mm. So all of this uh, needed to be tested to design, you know, the the flow of the system, how much air should we put through the system, and also the pressure that we needed to uh, for the system to do its job. I feel like I know the answer to this, but um, I'll still ask. So what did you determine to be the more difficult type of snow or snowpack um, to get enough oxygen coming through the system to the individual um we were a little bit unsure about this at the start we sort of expected it to be you know the super wet and heavy snow but it was actually um the super dry and fine-grained snow that was you know giving the worst conditions to to breathe 
at least according to our uh, testing. Interesting. Yeah, that I would have thought the light, light and dry would have definitely been the easier than the very wet and heavy. Um, this is where I should just be better at science. Um, but <laughs> did you guys? You this is what you found to be true. But what is the what is the scientific explanation for why wetter, denser snow actually allows more oxygen to come through or more easily? Well, um, we 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 aren't really you know the right people to to do the explanation of this. We just know the facts from from the testing. But if I'm going to give a, a sort of a try on the hypothesis on this, it would be that you know um, the the wet snow has sort of big grains, which is uh, you know edged towards each other, like um, what do you call those small uh, balls that you play with as a child? Oh, marbles. Marbles, correct. So it's those big grains that looks like marbles. And if you put a lot of marbles towards each other, then you will, will get all these spaces in between, right? So that the air can travel. And if you have a super dry snow, you hold, all have those good and tight bindings between the snow. And that will prevent the air from uh, going through. Gotcha. Just think about marbles. Right. And it's also right. this, this brings me into something else. And that is a, um, uh, sort of, um, it is a, a common understanding from, you know, the, the guides and the rescue personnel that you would get a sort of ice layering. Um, yeah. and this is also some of uh, the findings that we, we, we did, um, which is, this is positive. So the heat that you're putting out from your mouth is positive for the system. And this could be explained by the same hypothesis that when you breathe out, you will get that same graining uh, of, of, the, of the snow grains. Um, and that will help the air getting uh, through faster. So we have tested a lot with different heating and putting in heated air into the area. And it's always being positive for the system. And that has been tested down to around uh, minus uh, 22 Fahrenheit. Um, and so you should expect quite a bit of ice layering, but that is still positive for the system. That's both wild and really cool. Because that, that's that, right? That was one of my very first questions in this conversation is like that, that icing is actually terrifying, right? right. Um, if you've been in that experience and, um, but you're saying that when that happens, that the system, that's not, I thought for sure that that was going to be like, well, then your system doesn't work. And you're saying quite the contrary. Um, the system works better. Right. So it decreases the efficiency of the system. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's been a lot of surprises like this, you know. Um, uh, when we had these, you know, different, uh, uh, theories, uh, we wanted to actually, uh, uh, test it and see, you know, what does this mean for our system? Seems like probably a good thing for y'all to have been doing. Yeah. It's quite reassuring <laughs> to actually uh, test those things and, you know, get the, get the facts. So we might as well keep this, you know, graphic and terrifying, but also in that first question of mine when I was talking about my own experience it was in Argentina, tomahawking down a mountain, uh, that I not only had this icing up effect, but like I talked about, like I had snow, which then iced up in my throat, um, which very much then just felt like I couldn't breathe and was kind of suffocating. So, um, you've talked about some surprises with the system. What about that uh, really uh, sexy sounding experience of just having effectively your esophagus and throat um, completely iced up? Right. So that that must have been quite unpleasant, uh, I yeah, imagine. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah. Uh, it sucked. <laughs> so wouldn't recommend that. But no. still, when you are caught in an avalanche, it's tremendous forces that is, is active, right? So so uh, many people would get a lot of snow into their mouths. And what happens after, uh, you know, in some cases, you some of it will melt. Uh, you would, you know, 
uh, uh, sort of being able to breathe even after this. So our system will not work if you are completely uh, blocked in your airways. Um, so the system will work um, when you have partially or fully open airways. So that often leads to the question of, you know, how many people uh, gets their throats or airways blocked? And that is a very hard question to answer because, um, you know, throughout the world, people or the people that dig up, you know, avalanche victims, they tend not, the first thing they're doing is not to, you know, carefully check their airways and, yeah. you know, doing those kind of, um, you know, um, checkings. They want to uh, try to help the person survive. So. Yeah. So it's, it's more about the, the data is being really bad rather than the statistics is, is bad. We have been doing a lot of, uh, you know, thinking around this, this problem. And, um, if you think about it, how long could you survive without any oxygen? And let's say that in an extreme case, that could be, you know, 10, 12, 12 minutes. Yeah. So, um, given that, you know, nine out of 10 survives the first 15 minutes. You could expect many of them not to have completely blocked airways. So this is just, um, you know, based on logic, I guess. And the other data that is more secure that we have to say that, you know, many uh, around nine out of 10 of those not dying from traumas, uh, you know, could make use of this system. Gotcha. But this is, it is still a hard uh, question to answer because there are so many factors. Any other surprises in the development of the product? Well, um, I think also um, one, one thing we, we wanted from the start was to develop a system that could be you know, made in use on every backpack, that you could just retrof retrofit your backpack huh. and use the system. But um, to make sure that, you know, the, the system could pull air from the backpack or the area around the backpack, and also to ensure the integrity of the system from the intake and to the outlets, we needed to, to actually integrate the system in a safe manner. Uh, so that's how we ended up, you know, actually integrating the system and, you know, the system only being able to be bought together with, you know, certified uh, vests or uh, backpacks or other equipment that it will be, you know, integrated with. And talk about those current options and offerings. So uh, it is currently being offered by um, uh, DB with a vest. It's been offered by Balgans with a backpack. And it will be offered together with airbags uh, from, uh, you know, currently uh, secret uh, manufacturers, but uh, mm. among them, uh, a big American company. So it will be integrated with more systems from or more uh, backpacks uh, starting from uh, 2024. Got it. When will these different options, vests, packs, etc., when will these become available for purchase? For the regular market, it will be available from September this year. Uh, that will be from Bergens and DB. And we will also integrate it with other partners and they will start selling it from uh, the next season again. Got it. Okay. Can we talk a bit about the regulation or certification process here? What are the steps that you have had to go through to bring this product to market? So this is uh, the responsibility of Andre uh, with Safepack. So uh, he's been using around two years, uh, you know, <laughs> not battling with the, with the certification authorities, but working closely <laughs> together with them. Because this was a brand new product and there didn't exist any standards that this would, you know, uh, uh, fit with. So uh, this was early identified as a personal protective equipment and as a category two. So this meant we need to, together with a big uh, certification company called DECRA, we developed a, 
new test um, sequence or a test method for this product. And they developed this, and this was again uh, approved by the EU uh, authorities. And then when that was approved, we could start the certification process. And the certification process is sort of twofold. Uh, one certification process is for the SafeBack SPX, and one is for the backpack. Because the backpack needs to meet certain strength requirements, uh, you know, to make sure it can withstand the uh, forces of an avalanche, yeah. and that the system is, you know, safely integrated and still working when the avalanche uh, stops. <laughs> okay, so you have this new certification, but your product, I presume, is going to be available for sale in most countries or or can be purchased and then used anywhere in the world. Have you had to work with or just be thinking about like what that means for this product to be used in Norway versus the United States versus Canada? What fun things have you learned uh, along the way with respect to where your product will be used? So um, the certification process has been for uh, the CE, so Europe, and then we have extended all the testing required for, you know, sale throughout North America, Japan, um, and other countries. Um, and we also needed to consider, you know, the, the risk in each country. Um, where, of course, uh, here in Norway, we do, don't need to, you know, think that much on uh, being sued. Uh, but maybe in North America, that might be a bigger problem. So even if we set out on this journey to, you know, try to save lives and, you know, get better margins, we need to acknowledge that people will still die with, with the safe back equipment with them. It will not save everyone. So we needed to ensure that, you know, us being able to continue this, uh, you know, journey and, and our company and um, what we set out to do um, not being, you know, uh, stopped by uh, being sued. So it all comes back to our responsibility of, you know, making the users and the buyers aware of the risk that is still going to be there when using the SPX. It won't be the Ironman suit that everyone would hope for. It will just give you some better margins. Gotcha. So with respect to that component of it, the the legal ramifications of some of this, this is groundwork you've already had to do, or is it more that you will need to just continue to put out the proper messaging and educational component of this of like, you know, it seems actually kind of obvious to say it here, but this does not ensure that you have somehow now just taken your risk to zero if and when you are buried in an avalanche. Yes. So uh, basically we've done all, you know, uh, research or, you know, um, uh, found all the, you know, the risks in the different markets for this type of, uh, you know, event to happen. So uh, what we have found, basically to try to sum it up, what we have found is to be open with all, um, you know, uh, upsides and also all limitations for the equipment. And that is for the users to make their best judgment, judgment themselves. So uh, this has actually come from um, um, uh, a research that has been done on going from two-wheel drive to four-wheel drive. Because, for example, in Norway, um, there is more accidents with four-wheel drive than it is mm. with two-wheel drive in the winter mountain. So mm. this is, I guess, comes down to risk adoption uh, mm -hmm. when using a safety equipment. So what we have found to be sort of the, the answer uh, from the researcher on this is to be just open about the equipment. When does it work? When does it not work? And let the customers, you know, being uh, aware of this so that they can, you know, be in control of their own uh, risk assessments and, you know, uh, make good judgments, basically. Mm -hmm. Speaking about when the product will work or not work, I want to talk about tree wells. Mm -hmm. Because it seems like there is 
some relevance here, but I'm also curious to hear you talk about um, maybe some of the data on this. Avalanche burials, this makes a lot of sense that um, if a person can reach that trigger and deploy, you're going to buy yourself probably 90 minutes here uh, with the SafeBack system. Tree wells, I feel like, is something we just don't talk about a lot, maybe even think that much about, certainly relative to how much time and attention we give to avalanches. What about the utility of the SafeBack system in instances where someone ends up in a tree well? And I guess my biggest question here probably is, I don't know studies on this uh, and what the data shows. If you end up upside down in a tree well, and so you're effectively, you're, you know, top, top half is effectively buried. Mm-hmm. It seems like the safe back pump would be great to have, but I don't know about the ability to actually trigger or pull that trigger to activate the system. Well, yeah, and that's, that's, I guess, an, an open question. And there is not really a good answer on this. Uh, you know, there are certain experts out there. Let's see, uh, deepsnowsafety.org with, you know, um, with, uh, Boger. And, uh, he says that around 5% of, of, uh, deaths from, you know, snow accidents in, in the United States is from SIS or, um, snow immersion suffocations, which include uh, tree wells. So it is, of course, a significant uh, problem. Um, in regards of how certain it is to, you know, activate the trigger once you are um, uh, caught in the snow, I guess that could vary um, depending on, you know, the different, you know, factors um, yeah. uh, like how you are ending up upside down. Uh, if you are unconscious, of course, that would be a, a big problem to, to activate the system. So, but if you are caught below and you can actually move a little bit around and the problem is that you're getting more snow, uh, on top of you and that you don't get out of the hole, then I guess the system could work, uh, because you are just covered with snow and the same, I guess, rules would apply as you are buried, uh, below the snow. You're going to hate this, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is where I feel like the safe back system where I can turn it on at the top of a run before mm-hmm. anything happens and then turn it off when I'm out of tree well danger or avalanche danger. Mm-hmm. I completely understand what you were saying before about we cannot... We cannot have the system sort of accidentally turn off when it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. I get that. But there is something here, and I'm sure you've actually thought about this. You're a smart guy. But to have, you know, a second product where Mm -hmm. it's like, look, um, this is for the example, you know, for, for tree wells, where it seems unlikely that... Once you end up upside down or to, you know, in your case, you mentioned like if you hit a tree, you're unconscious. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to deploy then. But the idea then to have the system working already, that's a huge opportunity. You've thought about, first of all, you've thought about this. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, something else to work on, no? Well, I guess... You could do this, you know, in short stretches um, and, you know, you still wouldn't be needing to, you know, replace the batteries. Um, so, you know, doing this, you know, throughout the day, I guess that wouldn't be a problem because you would just turn it off once you are, you know, right. coming past the, the, I guess, the, the risk zone or what you want yeah. to call it. So, um, I guess the system can be used this way. Um, and for avalanche danger itself, um, you know, we still encourage just people to train with, you know, actually yeah. deploying the system, uh, because it's so easy to train with. So I guess some people say uh, train as you fight and fight as you train. And that also comes in, uh, uh, in regards of, of the SPX system. I hear you. 
I, I'm just giving you, you know, thoughts for your next project. <laughs> um, well, you know, because this is this is only, you know, sucked up an enormous amount of your, you know, bandwidth and time and energy for multiple years. So um this, you know, just the idea for the next one. <laughs> yeah, and, and all these, you know, problems and, you know, the example you set now, you know, th these are problems we try to think about and make it as, as user-friendly user for for the users as we can. So that's also mm -hmm. why we, you know, we tested with the Norwegian Armed Forces for three years yeah. and three seasons. Yeah. And, you know, we always try to make it easier and more um, uh, helpful for, for the user. So let's talk about pricing. Um, walk me through, you know, prices shift a bit, but walk me through some general pricing when we come to the vest option, pack option, etc. Uh, so the prices will be somewhere between 600 and 700 uh, US for a vest or a backpack, including the SPX. And for uh, the airbag and uh, safe bag, included in a backpack of course that will be a little more expensive what do you mean by a little more so you would probably look at between 1400 to 1700 uh, us dollars gotcha okay okay not terribly surprising kind of in line with some of the pricing on airbag packs and you know products that actually might keep you alive in the backcountry right and, you know, we, we could, of course, uh, download this whole process a lot cheaper for the customers. Uh, but then we wouldn't have all the research and, you know, fine tuning of the product that we actually have. So we really try to focus on quality with this product. So uh, the prices comes from, you know, an enormous uh, uh, workload uh, within research and making sure that the product actually meets the requirements, not only for you know, the flow and everything, but the system should work in all different kinds of, you know, conditions in rough weather and everything. It should withstand the forces from an avalanche, which can be quite considerable. And it should also be as user-friendly as possible. So there's really a lot of, you know, different aspects that we needed to solve for, for the customers actually to be, you know, for it to be useful for them. Yeah, to not sound good in theory, but not work so well in practice. Right. That would be our nightmare at least. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've covered a good number of the details around the, the SBX product. So now we're going to shift gears a little bit and I'm going to ask you about any of your own crashes and or close calls. That's something we like to do on Gear 30 each week um, in part because as I say, we are trying to drive home to our listeners that when things happen, well, things can get really expensive really quickly. And so we've created this Blister Plus insurance thing uh, and we are very much just begging people to go check this coverage out, understand what they would or would not be covered you know, under their own insurance and situations. And so, um, we will ask you once again to go get real clear on that and check out this Blister Plus insurance that we have. But on that note, then, um, your own anecdotes, crashes and or close calls, Tor? Yeah, so it was a few years ago and we were up at the, the Voss Resort, so close to uh, where I live. And um, we were going through a tree section and I was probably going 40 miles an hour and <laughs> I thought I had uh, full control, I was going for a jump, but then I fell and I was sliding backwards into a tree. And luckily for me, I had a, a shovel. Actually, I think it was a, a pretty thick shovel and the whole shovel broke in two. Uh, so that, I guess, took the fall instead of my spine. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. It was unlucky for the shovel that uh, broke in two, but lucky for me, I guess. So uh, I couldn't breathe for between a whole minute and two afterwards. And uh, my buddies came and pretty much carried me along further down. And uh, um, I was uh, winded for uh, half an hour afterwards. But uh, I escaped wow. with... Uh, an integrated spine, at least. <laughs> yeah. 
you had okay your spine was intact but like any did you break any ribs or did you actually just get the wind knocked out of you to the craziest extent possible yeah it was the last one so uh, i guess i drank enough milk when i was a boy (laughs) so uh luckily i escaped with it but here in norway uh we uh we are the whole health institution is uh is paid so if you are getting a lucky it's not really a problem but i really see the problem from living two years in the american uh uh, you know uh, the u.s and where things can really cost a lot when things like that happen. Yeah. And I'm learning a lot about the different <laughs> healthcare systems and insurance systems in, in individual con- countries. I don't know the case in Norway, but I know in, uh, I believe like in Austria, if you get hurt outside of your home country, mm-hmm. then it is not the same uh, coverage necessarily. like, And that's part of it, I think, on the European side is for everybody to just get clear in your own individual country what and where and when you would be covered and when you might not be. Right. And in Norway, this is uh, quite easy, but uh, uh, but um, a lot of a lot of the people who are traveling abroad are just getting their, you know, travel insurances and everything in order uh, so that you are, you know, uh, ensured that you are getting treated uh, properly if you are, yeah. you know, in an accident, for example, in the U.S. Gotcha. I'm glad you didn't break your back in half. Well, yeah, and uh, I guess there wouldn't be any safe back SPX if I did. No, it'd be called broke back yeah, SPX. Some... <laughs> um, Something and like that, that. That brings a whole different connotation to what the system might do. But um, anyway, um, that's a hell of a story. Yeah, I'm glad you had a, a backpack on that day. Um, me too, me too. Wow. Well, Tor, very interesting what you've been doing. I hope it feels really good to you that you know, you're know you about to have the product of all these years of work uh, coming out. I suspect there's probably some nervousness and eagerness and anticipation and all of the above about this, but... um. It's very interesting and it's really cool to talk with you and hear about the development of this and and how you and your team have gone about thinking about uh, just another solution to to potentially save some lives when we're all playing around in the snow. Yeah, uh, thanks. And um, uh, thanks for, for having me. And uh, as I mentioned earlier in, uh, in the podcast, uh, you're welcome to visit uh, Norway. We have some pretty mm. good skiing uh, <laughs> up in uh, Tromsø, for example. So uh, you should definitely uh, uh, come check it out. Okay. I, it will be added to the list. Um, I'd love to do it. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a super cool part of the world and, and, uh, and I'm long overdue. So we'll, we'll work on making this happen. Yeah, sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right, Tor. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, it is now time for our weekly What We're Celebrating segment. I am recording this on Thursday, May 4th at 9.30 p.m. I have in my hand a beer from New Image Brewing because I am feeling really good about myself. Because yours truly just ran six miles. How you like them apples? That's almost a marathon. I mean, in like, I don't know, if you think about like the distance from the earth to the moon, like, you know, six miles, 26 miles, that's nothing. That's like a blink of an eye type of thing. So I basically ran a marathon today is what I'm trying to say. And so I'm enjoying a beer in celebration. But in terms of what I am celebrating, I'm going to celebrate this time of the year, at least here in the Gunnison Valley, where yesterday I was ski touring, today I went on a run, this weekend I'm probably going to be mountain biking, I already know a bunch of my friends in the valley are out paddling and kayaking, Um, we're in easily four sport territory right now and you know, we probably got more than four. I mean, there's like somebody's probably curling somewhere in the valley. I don't know. But um, kind of a fun time of year. Well, I'm sorry to see more and more ski areas closing shop for this season. Definitely not all. Definitely not all. And shout out to all of the ski areas that are still, still doing it. Thank you for your service. Um, 
it is pretty fun to get into these multi-sport days and weeks and um and enjoying these longer days and warmer temps pretty good right now i'm not gonna lie so that's what i'm celebrating this lovely time of year and that then brings us to the end of this edition of gear 30 i want to say thanks again to tor for the very interesting conversation and for his and the SafeBack team's work on this really interesting product, we are really looking forward to check this out. And I do think there is some real potential here to save some more lives. So here, here. I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to all of you for listening. Seriously, every single week I am reminded of just how smart and really nice and generous our Blister community is. That means a lot to me and the team. And so thank you for all the kind words and for the support. And thanks for checking out Gear 32. So that's it for now. I hope you have a great weekend doing multiple cool things outside. And we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>